to stand as we read God's word here. We do so as a, as a means of just simply reminding us this Bible is not like any other book. This is God's word inspired by God for the purpose of building and encouraging and correcting the church. So chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 3. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father, Father, we just ask that you would bless this time as we've read your word and now we just examine what it says. And Lord, my prayer is that for me and for us as a church, your body, your bride, that your will would be done in us and that you would expose any immaturity in us, any resistance in our faith, any laziness, any apathy that dwells within us. I just pray that today your spirit would press on that, that we'd be able to confess it and that we would live with zeal and with joy for you in everything that we do. Bless now the preaching of your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, the first main question that we're going to ask is, why is the church spiritually immature? And number one, it's because they fail to listen. Look at verse 11. It says, the author says, about this we have much to say. About what? What's he talking about? Well, if you've been with us, then you would have, uh, you've heard us preach uh, 5, 1 through 10, where all of a sudden we're talking about Jesus as a high priest. And he's not like the priest of Levi and, the priest, and like the high priest of Aaron. But he comes from this guy, Melchizedek, which is just kind of strange. And we'll get to more as we move into chapter 7. And he says, I really want to talk more about this. But there's a problem with that. And the problem is, it's hard to explain. Now, it's not hard because the church is intellectually challenged. It's not hard because the concepts in themselves are difficult. It's hard, he says, because you have become dull of hearing. And that, those words, dull of hearing, means sluggish in the ears. You get that? Like, just picture that, sluggish in the ears. The church has been coasting by on some type of lazy, easy Christianity. Anyone ever fly a plane? Or anyone ride in a plane? <laughs> right, if you fly a plane, that's cool. Uh, and, and you remember, like, one of the first things that happens is the stewardess walks up, and, and she talks about stuff. No one knows what she talks about because we don't listen, right? Um, she's like, hey, this is how you do a seatbelt. And uh, this is what you're going to do if we crash into a mountain. Um, which, you ever find that a little ironic? Um, anyway, she gives all these instructions. Do you, do you pay attention? Does anyone 
pay attention? You know, some people, yeah. We got some people that, and that's probably good, right? But the reason most of us don't is we're like, I just don't care. It's just not important. I'd rather be like YouTubing, podcasting, listening to anything, reading, talking to someone, or just sleeping. Like, right? Like, we just don't. Don't you feel bad for them at times? Like, they, they have to do that. Um, now, imagine if that's the way we come and listen to sermons which maybe that is the way some of you listen to sermons, man. Guy come up, start preaching, it's like, phew, just start tuning out. And so everyone can just feel free to like just elbow the person next to you. Um, but I want you to think about that. Or, or while the sermon's being preached, we're preoccupied with thinking about lunch. Where's that going to be today? Or man, it's, it's, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend, man. We got people coming over. I need to mow, I need to blow, I need to edge, I need to, you know, like all of a sudden we start going through our to-do list, it's like we're tracking, and all of a sudden the word comes, and we're, we're no longer tracking. It's like we're just not hungry for God's word, but we're hungry for lunch. And so the first problem is that they're just failing to listen. They're not paying attention to the word. They become lazy, sluggish in the ears. And of course, if we're not listening, if we're not paying attention, that leads us to the next problem. They fail to remember. The author says, you ought to be teachers by now. But instead, you need to be retaught the basic principles of the faith. And notice how he illustrates their immaturity. Look at verse 12. He says, you need milk. Not solid food. Now, this is where it's good. Just to pause as we're reading. Who drinks milk? Who drinks milk? You guys know. Go ahead. Babies, right? Babies drink. Oh, you're like saying you drink milk. Well, <laughs> I'll let you read into that yourself. Um, babies drink milk, and they can't have solid food. So, so the author has just called the church, you're a bunch of nursing babies. You get that? Now, does that disturb you? I came up and said, you guys are being immature. You're acting like a nursing baby. Now, just get that picture in your head. A 40-year-old guy still nursing. It makes you cringe, doesn't it? It's a lot of things it does. It's supposed to make you cringe and go, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's stupid. How could you possibly be a 40-year-old still nursing? And he says, that's exactly what you're like. And don't miss... It's not that the church needs to be refreshed on the basics of the faith. They need to be retaught them. They need to relearn them. They've forgotten them. They've been absent-minded. And he's not talking to like six-month-old Christians or a year-old Christian. He's talking to people. He says, you should be teachers. Now, he's not saying you should all be elders in the church, standing before the church preaching. So don't, don't automatically go there. Like, really? That's what we should be doing? But he's saying, you should be teaching others the Word of God. And that makes sense, right? When we understand what a disciple is. 
A disciple is one who learns Jesus in order to live and love like him, that we would make disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, what does Matthew 28 say? We baptize them, but before we, but we also do what? We, we teach them. And what do we teach? Everything that Jesus commanded. Now, who is that written to? The church. If you're a disciple, you and I together are called to make disciples. And we're going to have different gifts, and we're going to do things differently, and some of us are going to stand in front of more people, and some of us are going to be more one-on-one. Whatever that is, we're called to make disciples. We are called to know the basics of the faith, the principles, the gospel, so that we would be able to share it with others. How can you disciple others if we don't know the basics, if we don't understand the gospel? And so I just want to ask this to you. He's telling the church, you ought to be teachers. I'm asking you, are there some of you who ought to be teachers? Just think through that. Have you been a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years? Are you teaching people? Are you investing in people? Who are you discipling right now? Who are you meeting with? Who are you encouraging? Or do you need to be retaught the basics of the faith? You know, it's always kind of convicting when someone says, can you, can you recite the Ten Commandments? Maybe just think through that. Can you? Can you define the words justification and sanctification? If someone was to ask you, hey, what are the first, or what are the, what are the four books called the Gospels? Would you know where those are? Would you be able to find them? Could you explain the storyline of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation? And if you're here, I hope you should, because we talk that way a whole lot. How we go from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. And if you can do those things, praise God. And I hope that you're investing in others. I hope that you're, you're doing that. And if you can't, then just let this be the conviction of the Spirit going, wait, why can't I? Shouldn't I be able to do that? And I just want to encourage you, a, an amazing way just to begin, to begin teaching others is junior church. And that's not a plug just because we need more junior church workers. But it's an amazing way to teach others the basics of the faith. And guess what happens when you're having to explain the biblical concepts to 5-year-olds and 7-year-olds and 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds? you got to know them. And I guarantee you, they ask better questions than we do, and they're harder. And you're going to go, I have no idea. And what that's going to do is force you to go back to the Word so you can come back next week and share the truth with them. So I just want to encourage you. That's an amazing way to start. It's an amazing way just to begin working those truths in your life so that then you would be able to not only speak to 5-year-olds and 8-year-olds and 10-year-olds, but 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds and whoever it is that you encounter. Now you might say, what are the basics of the gospel? Well, I think the author gives it to us in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and he gives three sets of two. And so we're just going to kind of walk through them. The first set, he talks about repentance of dead works and a faith towards God. It seems like here he's addressing how we come to faith, that we need to repent of our dead works, of, of the things that we do that do not honor God, the fact that we are born, what Ephesians 2 says, dead in our sins and trespasses. And we need to have faith towards God, specifically in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent to die on the cross and rise again from the dead. Second set, this one's a little difficult. It talks about the instruction about washing and the laying on of hands. 
Now, the word washings that it uses, it's in the plural, and when we read about it in the New Testament, it refers to Jewish cleanliness laws, which is a little strange here in this context, especially for this church who's wrestling with going to Judaism. Um, Laying on of hands, that seems to be a little more clear, most likely the the anointing of the Spirit, because we see that in the book of Acts. They would lay on hands, and they would receive the Spirit. Most likely, the washings is a way to refer to baptism. Perhaps he's, he's talking about going from, from Old Testament to New Testament, or perhaps he's just talking in a way this church is going to understand about baptism. But most likely, he's talking about the Christian life, that as we come to faith, we're baptized and we're given the Holy Spirit. We need to know those basics. And then the third set, instruction on the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That there is a day coming where Jesus will return. He will gather his church and we will live with him in a new heavens and new earth. And for those who have not yet received him, those who have rejected him, those who have not believed in him will suffer under eternal judgment. So, so we, we're given these three sets of two, and, and see it says these are the basics of the faith, and that's a little bit like what we do when we read the Apostles' Creed each week, right? We're just simply reminding ourselves this is the gospel. This is what we believe. This is why we're here. It's because of these basics of the faith, and we need to know these basics of the faith. If we don't know them, It's really hard to live as God has called us to. So not only have they been lazy and they failed to listen, they've been, they have, uh, they failed to remember and they failed to practice. Look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's saying, "You, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to apply God's word because you're not living it out. And we can sometimes just think like, like that's okay. I mean, we wouldn't say it's okay, but we function like it's okay. Like, I'm a Christian, I kind of know the word, but, you know, if I'm really obedient, what does that really matter? So, I want to read a text from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And he's also going to talk about spiritual immaturity. Um, And so, this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 2. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. Sound familiar? You're like, we're just tracking right here with Hebrews. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. So that means you should be on solid food, but you're not. You're still in milk. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only a human way? You see what happens? Spiritual immaturity results in moral immorality. Like, you can't miss it. He says, I started you with, solid, with, with milk. You should be on solid food, but you haven't progressed, and I can see why you're fighting with one another. You're jealous. You're bitter. You're angry. You're having all these problems with one another. Why, why is that? Because they're not progressing. They're not growing in their faith. We often think that if we're not growing, there's like this neutral ground. Like when we go outside with the youth on Wednesday nights and we play various games like capture the flag, there's like a safe zone around the flag, right? So if you make it into enemy territory, you get to the flag, you can stand there and you're safe. No one can tag you. The moment you leave this, they can tag you and you know take the flag again. We think that happens in the spiritual life. 
Like, I can just stay right here. It's like I have a flag. And I'm not going to maybe be progressing, but I'm certainly not regressing. But what do we read in God's Word? You're either moving towards Christ in maturity, or you're moving away from Christ. And as we move on to chapter 6, we'll be talking about apostasy. Again, we need to remember, he's wanting us to examine ourselves. We're supposed to wrestle with this, and so I just want you to wrestle. Am I, am I hovering in something that I thought was neutral? I haven't necessarily been progressing, and I didn't think that was necessarily bad, but if I'm not growing, then I am actually moving away from Christ. And if that's true, then then maybe some of the relational issues that we have, our anger, our impatience, our bitterness, the the strife that we have with one another, it might be more because of my spiritual immaturity in my own life. And so let that just kind of be a little gauge and what the Spirit is saying through His Word here. Because they're not practicing, because they don't, they don't know how to apply it, they, they fail to discern. Look at verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice, to distinguish good from evil. So two things to note here. Discernment comes from what? Constant. This is where we do that little interaction. Constant. Practice. So if you're going to be a discerning person, that means you are practicing God's Word, which means you're reading God's Word, you're learning God's Word, you're applying God's Word, you're living it out, and the more you live it out, the more discerning you become. Because discernment's hard sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's easy, right? Like, do not lie, do not steal, and you're, you're, in, a tempta- you're in a situation, and it's easy to somewhat discern that. But it gets a little more hard when all of a sudden, what type of TV shows do we watch, and radio, and YouTube, are we being entertained with? We need discernment to know how to respond to LGBTQ. Not that we affirm it, but how do we respond? How do we do so with love? How do we do so because this person's made in the image of Christ and we desire that they know the gospel? We need discernment for how do we address racism in a racially diverse, hostile culture? We're not talking about do we affirm or, or disagree with racism, but we're saying how do we address, how do we speak into How do we understand new worldviews like critical race theory and critical social justice if we're not being trained by God's word? Why is it wrong for the church to go back to Judaism? They need to know that. When do you speak and when do you hold your tongue? Do you ever struggle with that? Like every day. Right? And some of those times, it's because we're actively involved and we really love this person and we're going, do I address this or do I not? Is this one of those things that love covers offenses or does it not? When, when is that? Where is that line? We need discernment, right? And some of us just think, man, it's it just flip a switch and surely we'll have it. And what we're told is no. As you learn God's word, as you apply God's word, and you're doing constant practice, you're going to be growing in your discernment, which means the more we practice, the more discerning we will become. Okay, so we need to, we need to pause now. We, we, we've seen why the church is immature. And so 
we just need to like begin asking questions like, how am I growing? How am I actively reading and obeying God's word? How is it that I'm teaching others the truths of God's word? Who am I investing in? Have I become lazy? Are there areas I'm apathetic spiritually? Do I spend more time critiquing a sermon than applying it? Do I make excuses for when I don't read, memorize, and study the scriptures? The author is just saying, stop making excuses. And he's saying, don't stay where you're at. So no matter where you're at, he's calling us to move closer to Christ here. And so how do we respond then? So the second big question that we're asking is, how is the church to respond? And there's really three ways that I just want to point out. Number one, we need to know maturity is not an option. If you look at chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That's not a suggestion. If you have time, if it's convenient, no. We need to leave the doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. He's calling us to mature. And later, as we move through chapter 6, which is one of the uh, most debated chapters probably in the Bible, we're going to look at why it's so important that they mature. Because if they don't, what is that danger that will be facing them, which we'll be addressing in two weeks? Number two, maturity, we need to know, is based upon God's grace. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. So he says you need to leave the basic doctrines. You need to mature. And then he says that's only going to happen if God permits. Which then would maybe make us ask the question, does God permit? Is he going to give grace? And we can answer that wholeheartedly. Yes, he will. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is your sanctification. Romans 8, 29. Listen. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Why? So basically he's talking about those whom he saved to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are saved, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you know the purpose behind it? So that you would be made like Jesus. You were not saved to stay where you're at. You were saved to be transformed, to be made like Christ. God sent forth his son to die on a cross. He would raise again taking the punishment you and I deserve so you'd be saved, adopted, and transformed. And we read in Hebrews chapter 4, 16, that Jesus is now our high priest, and he sits at the right hand of God, and we are told, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of what? The throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace to help in time of need. Does God give grace? Does he permit like, we need to listen and go wholeheartedly, yes, he does. What he's saying, he's not wanting us to go, well, is God going to do this? He's wanting us to be encouraged that our sanctification, our growth in Christ is not necessarily based upon our willpower, based upon our energy, based upon us. It's all about God's grace. He's inviting us to lean deeply in upon the throne of grace and say, God, I need grace. And here's the thing, he said, it is a throne of grace, and I will pour it out upon you. So as you read, as you study, as you come and gather with the church, as you practice, grace is coming. Isn't that good news? There is grace. God did not save you and say, good luck getting to the finish line. 
Like we think that way though, right? But he's saying, man, I have saved you. I will give you grace every single step of the way. So does God permit? Yes, he does. Romans 8.30 says, one day all who have been justified will be glorified. Meaning we will see Jesus as he is because we will be made like him. Isn't that good news? And he's determined to do so. This passage, this hard passage where the author is like, like a pastor standing before the church and saying, you're like nursing babies. He's saying it just simply to awaken them and say, I love you so much that you would move closer to God, towards God. That's what God's doing in this passage. So what does it look like to, go, to spiritually mature? It brings us to our third one. Maturity is about hungering for God's word. And, and we could answer that in different ways, actually. If we were in different texts and, and if we wanted to give a more comprehensive, but based upon where the author is at and what he wants this church to know and what is fundamental to maturity is God's word. So his maturity is about hungering for God's word. That's why in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Now, real quick, that doesn't mean we're leaving Jesus as if Jesus did his part and we're like, tag, I got this now. That's not what's happening. Um, rather, think of it like we're building on the basics of the faith. So if, you, um, if you're in school or if you've been to school, you know that when you take math, some of the first things you learn is addition, subtraction, and then multiplication and division. And everything you do after that is built on those. You're not going to do differential equations and calculus without knowing addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. You, you left those in a sense, but you're building on them. Does that make sense? Or think of it like this. If the gospel is the ocean, you can wade in it, right? Like we see children wading into the gospel. Children right now are downstairs wading into the gospel. They can come in and they can enjoy the truths of the gospel. You can wade into your knees, into your, into your waist, into your shoulders, whatever it is. But the gospel is also so beautiful and so deep, we can throw our scuba gear on and we can go deep into the gospel where we discover even more and more truth and riches, right? So that's what he's saying. He's saying, stop wading in the gospel. Jump in into the ocean and begin discovering more and more truths and riches that are there. And so, I just want to ask you, is there anything keeping you from the word? Is there anything keeping you from regular time in God's word by yourself and with others? I think we face many distractions today. Many, many distractions and I'm sure that we're all busy, and um, we can always make excuses because we're busy. Um, but the thing is, there's a couple things I don't really hear people say. I never hear people at the end of the day saying, man, I wish I watched more TV today. I mean, seriously, do you hear people say that? I wish I spent more time on my phone. If only I had more time on my phone doing Facebook and Instagram, and I, I don't even know because I don't really have any of those because they're, they're getting too advanced for me. <laughs> but the point is, is like, I don't hear people saying that. 
I hear people all the time saying, man, I just, I'm struggling in God's word. Well, what's keeping you? Is it TV? Is it your phone? Is the phone the first thing you pick up and the last thing you put down every day? And maybe the phone was what fills in all the in-between time too? There's just a lot of things out there. How are we doing in God's word? Let me, let me just give you three things that happen when we hunger God's word. I just want to close with these. Number one, you'll overcome sin. Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that good news? If you're wrestling with sin, he says, if you store up God's word, if you know God's word, if you learn his word, you will overcome sin. There are sins that some of us are battling in here, and the reason we're continuing in that battle is because we're not picking up God's word. So know that truth. Know that joy. He says, if you pick up my word, you'll overcome sin. Why? Because we're being discerning. We're being trained in the word of righteousness. Number two, you will grow in your love for God's word. Psalm 119, verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Psalm 119 is 176 verses devoted to the joy and the beauty of God's word. Longest chapter in the Bible, probably something behind it. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, that's not how I feel, I promise you this. If you make those verses your prayer and you begin reading and practicing God's word, you will begin to love it like the psalmist does. Because his desire, God has given us his word we would know his word and love his word. Number three, you'll stand firm in trials. You'll stand firm in trials. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man <clears throat> who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Here we have a church Trials have come, and it's revealed their weak faith. And what we're told by Jesus is if you know his word, you'll actually stand firm in trials. And the trials will show the stability of your faith. And so just know this, that whatever trial you're in right now, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, you're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial. Like, that's life. Um, God is using that trial for the purpose of growing you in your faith. He's using it to, to just expose some level of laziness, of apathy, of, of immaturity. And we all have it. We all have it. So don't be like, someone's pointing at me. We all have it. And that's the Father's love growing us in the faith. Growing us that we become more and more like his son. And so, main point if we are to finish the race of faith, we must continue to spiritually mature. I want to encourage you, don't stay where you're at. Even if you're going, man, I'm, I'm doing good right now. Praise God. Keep running. Keep running. And if you've been struggling, I want to encourage you, uh, be in God's word. We do table groups as a means of, of getting people together. Now they're about to kind of take a break as we go into the summer. Um, but we still, we want to talk to you about those and make sure you're plugged in so when we, we, we kick them off again that you're a part of that because it is amazing having other believers holding you accountable. If you want to begin helping out in junior church, 
That's an amazing way to practice our faith. Not only do we need that, that's an amazing way for you to invest in others and to submit those truths in your own heart and your mind. Let's pray, and then we're going to take communion this morning.